Hello and welcome to today's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. Now this is the latest in our ESG series. We're focusing today on, on innovation and technology and we're joined by Gregory Duir, who is the founder of AO PropTech, Europe's largest PropTech VC that recently raised over 250 million euros from a range of prominent real estate businesses. And we'll chat also about how Greg sees innovation in the built environment, spearheading efforts to tackle climate change and the wider array of ESG challenges that everybody faces. Now, one of AO PropTech's portfolio businesses is Plentific, an increasingly prominent software business to help them digitize the supply chain of major housing associations. Its founder, Jem Savas, will also join us to chat about some of the work he's doing across Britain, North America and Europe. And that company is really on an exciting growth drive at the minute as well. Let's start with Greg. Uh, now, notwithstanding the fact that neither of us are particularly big fans of the word PropTech. Can you give us a bit of background on, on AO? What are some of the things that you're looking to do? You've obviously raised uh, a very large amount of money uh, last year. What are you planning to do with 250 million euros? Yeah, funnily enough, I don't like the word PropTech, but it's part of our, of our brand name. So probably a bit of work to do out there at some point. Uh, no, look, I think for us, it's been a very interesting journey. I think the the ecosystem of uh, real estate technologies has been uh, really expanding over the last um, 18 months. I think the pandemic has been a, a net uh, a big contributor to the acceleration of, of, of that whole uh, theme. For us, you know, I think the focus today is around technologies that are going to solve clear pain points for the end users. Uh, and those pain points will either be operational, so identify, identifying companies that will enable you to compress you know, your, your, your margin uh, kind of uh, leakage and enhance operations and also uh, kind of uh, enhance your top line growth uh, through either, uh, let's say, optimization of, of churn uh, by understanding better your customers, but also by uh, plugging in the opportunities to create ancillary revenues as a landlord. And lastly, obviously, we have a major focus on on climate change and the decarbonization of the industry, which obviously can take many, many forms. Uh, you know, most people would focus on, you know, what is the what is the new way to build design and 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 and, and go about, you know, the, the future of, of buildings. But there's actually a huge pile of existing stock that needs to be retrofitted in order to become uh, or you know head towards net zero, and that's a huge task uh, ahead. Um, well, yeah, so I mean, yeah, ninety nine percent of buildings are are existing buildings, aren't they? And I think it's yeah. it's easy to get super excited about you know Briam outstanding tags for new buildings, but that's it's a very small part of the pie. What um, so tell us about some of your investors? So you've got a significant uh, you've got a significant pipeline of investments. Um, but who are the people that are backing AO PropTech and why are they doing that? So look, when, when, when I started this, you know, the idea was uh, I, I knew that I needed to have uh, alignment with some of the large industry incumbents uh, because this is an industry that, uh, you know, has a lot of, uh, let's say, followers mentality. So having, you know, large, large companies kind of lead the way is an important thing. Equally, um, a lot of those large companies, you know, two, two and a half years ago, were very shy about trying to um, change and embrace technology because that's putting the spotlight on them. And, and these are companies who uh, have been operating in a certain way where you know failure is never an option and you kind of 
you know, iterate in the same fashion that you've been doing for the last 50 years because, you know, you know how to do things. And so a lot of those companies were scared to kind of get in the spotlight and ensure that they're trying to change. Um, there was also no real incentives within those organizations to to evolve uh, and try to, uh, you know, initiate, um, you know, new projects, um, new mentalities, new culture, new systems. This notion of failing forward, uh, which, you know, we've seen, we see regularly in technology, in successful te technology companies, um, we don't necessarily see, um, we haven't seen in real estate. So we, we decided to raise from few investors. So we have less than 10 investors. Uh, you know, some of them uh, prefer to remain unnamed. Some of them are open about it. But we have some large publicly listed real estate companies, for example, in Germany, in the residential and commercial space. We have some family offices as well who own a big portion of, um, of real estate. And we've been working very closely with them to be able to integrate those technologies that we back into their portfolio, um, which gives us a great feedback loop about uh, how those technologies work. And obviously, you know, uh, working with Jam, you know, we've um, now in the process of finalizing, you know, uh, integration of Plentific into over 70,000 units in Germany with, uh, with some of our LPs. And so that's been a great journey to understand those companies better, but also for those companies to iterate around, uh, yeah. around technology. So, you know, very excited about um, what we've been able to do so far. Um, so, I mean, let, let's bring in Jem. So, so Jem, you set up Plentific, um, what, about eight years ago now? Yeah, correct. Uh, and, 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 and as a platform, you know, it, it is a, it's a, it's a quite a multifaceted platform, isn't it, in, in, in what you do, the problems you seek to solve, the different people that you're working with. And you've had some great take-up, haven't you, already from, from basically some of, the, some of England's biggest housing associations, um, and and they 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 seem to be they seem to be embracing it, which which is you know some would say a bit surprising. Housing associations aren't necessarily known for being the most innovative bunch. Um, I think it's it's probably fair to say, um, but you know you seem to have cracked that, don't you? That's great, fantastic. Yeah, uh, it's definitely probably the most difficult sector to start with, and we're finding it much easier to go into other sectors now. Um, but I mean. The housing sector in the UK is a very large sector and, you know, manages uh, over 4 million properties. So it's a very significant sector to go after. Um, you know, we are driving significant change and significant disruption to the old way of managing properties through this platform. And so just tell us, tell us in, in, in very short form what, you, what it does. Because some, some people may have heard it. You've raised, you know, you've raised nearly 30 million uh, about it just over a year ago in Series B funding. So, you know, you, you, people will have seen that. But, but tell us very quickly what Plentific does, what problems it solves. In the simplest way, we are basically enabling residents to have an Amazon-like experience in their homes. What does that mean? You know, everybody lives in a home. Uh, everybody probably had an issue in their home. So if you want to get a repair done or if you want to understand if your building is compliant or get an update around your communal areas, if it's, you know, when the lift is going to be serviced, that today is a very non-digital experience. So you can maybe, you know, raise an order on your mobile phone through a form, but you don't really know what happens afterwards. And we go to our clients, our landlords or property managers, embed our platform into their operating models and completely streamline and digitalize that request coming through from the resident all the way to 
the entire supply chain being on our platform. And that can be done through in-house teams, single contractors, or marketplace of contractors. And the property manager gets a solution that is so simple to use and so quick that in a way like you order on Amazon, you know, a package and you can, you see what happens with it and it comes the next day. And if you have a problem, mm -hmm. it gets resolved. We can empower this through digitalization now for residents and landlords and large uh, owners. So the platform is super powerful. It cuts down, you know, operational headaches significantly reduces costs significantly and empowers a huge amount of local community to get together because ultimately we're getting landlords access to local trade. And that's very yeah. powerful from a supply chain management point of view. Yeah, I mean, and it's, and so it's, it sounds like it actually covers each of each of our letters uh, for this series, that, but was, you're, you're self-supporting the E by making buildings better, the S by embracing local employers, employment, and and g obviously in helping these massive organizations deal with the with some of the governance issues that they face just through you know legacy assets they've acquired things that have been poorly constructed or badly maintained and and that's part of the challenge isn't it and, and you know i was talking to uh notting hill genesis yesterday we were very uh, very positive about their experience with plentific and i know that they you know they have been one of the first big organizations to really push forward this this innovation agenda using using this sort of platform what what were some of the what what were some of the the teething problems and challenges that you you had to overcome early on with, with some of these relationships because obviously it's, you know, many people would look at this and go right it's a huge risk how you know just basically just moving my system to you know to to a, a startup platform you know that's a risk and that a lot of companies would would probably shy away wouldn't they from doing so because you know nobody ever got fired for not making a decision that is true and that's probably true in every sector right and um, what greg mentioned earlier about it's especially true in property I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what greg mentioned earlier about working with owners to innovate and and you know streamline services is absolutely very true so we've worked very closely with our all our clients um on solving these problems um but it always takes risk takers. It always takes, you know, someone who trusts you to do something right. And as a startup, the first client is always the most difficult because that first client takes a huge risk, right? Um, so if you have nothing and you're trying to convince someone, somebody needs to believe in it. But now we're managing over 250,000 units. And so we show real data. We show how our solution works compared to all other delivery mod models. We can show case studies. Um, so the discussion now is not about taking risks. It's about actually we can mitigate your risk significantly because especially with COVID, which had a huge impact on you know ESG thinking because of more complexity coming in now, um, we come in and say, look, if you have you know supply chain that's falling away, we can help you with that. If you have to digitalize your you know operating model, you can do it in two weeks with us, right? So it's a, it's a huge amount of risk mitigation that we bring. But if you have, you know, an executive board um, that is um, not used to innovation or not used to be thinking differently, that definitely requires a bit of um, a bit of risk taken on their side. Yeah. But Andrew, uh, just one point on my side, I think I think where where things have changed. You know, you've mentioned that you nobody's ever been fired for not making any decision. I think. I think today um, we've turned a corner. I think the risk of not doing anything is far greater uh, than the risk of, of doing the wrong thing. Um, I think those large landlords 
whether they are in commercial real estate or, or residential, um, they really have no no choice anymore. Um, they are, um, you know, you see the convergence of regulations, of capital markets, of, of customers, all pointing towards uh, ESG, all pointing towards technology. And I think the cost of not doing anything uh, will result in some of those large enterprise uh, becoming obsolete over time. So I, I think we've really changed the mindset or the mindset is, is accelerating. There's a great sense of urgency. Uh, and I think it's going to help promote uh, the adoption of technology across the board, really end to end in the entire life cycle of, uh, of an asset. Let's speak very briefly to one of Plentific's customers. Uh, they're one of the UK's largest landlords, our housing association, Notting Hill Genesis, and they own over £20 billion of assets across the UK. Uh, now, Ellie Holt is the group director for assets, and, and she's been a very early adopter of Plentific, and, and she'll tell us a bit about how they've been working with the technology platform. I'm Ellie Holt, and I'm the group director of assets at Notting Hill Genesis. We've been working with Plentific for around uh, three years now, and uh, you know we we we've been through quite a large scale merger. And uh, there is a view that you know big organisations aren't close to their data. Working with an innovative organisation like Plentific enables us to be in touch with our data. We, it's a platform that really helps us to provide transparency, reporting, to know what's happening at every stage of the process, and that helps with the governance element of our organisation. And and it gives some um, power back to the residents because they're able to see exactly where work is sitting from their perspective and so there's a transparent process throughout in terms of the data what what our people see is what our residents see and that is a, a, a you know a real step forward in terms of innovation for us thank you ellie and we'll absolutely have to have her on to a future episode there's tons uh, we could be discussing with, with ellie thank you um greg let's go back to you what, what were you doing before setting up this business because you come from a background in, in real estate investment don't you yeah I started my career in investment banking, sadly, uh, and it took me about 10 years to realize that uh, I had to escape very quickly. <laughs> so, and, and then, you know... Uh, you're repenting for it now, though, it seems. You know, you're doing, you're doing positive things. You're, you're exactly. That's why I needed to leave. Um, so, so after banking, I, it took me a little bit to find my, my footing and exactly where, what I was going to do. And then I started by, um, you know, setting up real estate uh, and capital markets advisory practice, which then became a turn into a special situations fund, and then which still operates, uh, which is AMD Capital, and then um, you know, uh, got really inspired by the ability to really tackle uh, a huge generational transformation of, of this sector. And with the ability to really make a, a difference through, and through, you, you, uh, through you've the joined the, the World Economic Forum, haven't you? Sorry to interrupt, but in yeah. terms of you were just saying making a difference, that's yeah. a great platform, isn't it? To 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 create an impact on becoming the first yeah. VC firm to join the World Economic Forum Global Innovators Community. Yeah, no, that, that's amazing. Look, a year ago, I I, I I attended the World Economic Forum as a guest of one of my LPs, and I was really blown away by really seeing that you have all the, the movers and shakers out there that can really make a difference. I really felt there that everyone was really determined to, to start working towards, you know, making the world a better place. And then fast forward, you know, a year later, we, we are invited to become a member of this community for the work we do within real estate. And for me, it was great because it meant that the people in the World Economic Forum realized that no discussions around 
climate change or around social inequalities should happen without uh, real estate people around the table, given the importance that they play uh, in those discussions. You know, um, real estate is the number one contributor to uh, greenhouse gas emissions globally. And I bet if you went and run a survey right now, probably 20, 25% of the people would know that real estate is the number one contributor. The rest wouldn't have a clue. Um, they would probably say aviation or agriculture or whatever that would come up. But nobody knows uh, really and and there's a need to educate and to to lead the way on those discussions i mean when it comes to prop tech it's fair to say that there you know it's a bit like a bit like sustainability there's been lots of greenwash over the years and there's been a fair amount of tech wash you could say in recent years as well lots of people dressing up you know variations on excel spreadsheets as some sort of tech solution to, to all the world's all the world's problems what do you as an investor look for in a business, so when 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 Jim and his team came to you and, and said, "Give us some money," what what was the what was the conversation that happened? Uh, you know, what 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 yeah. sparked your interest? What what should other firms with great ideas be doing to to get on your radar? Look, first and foremost, we we look at the people. Um, it's very important to 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 me, and I mean, you know, uh, when you look at Jim and Emre. Um, I think they're exceptional entrepreneurs. Um, they had been uh, building this business over the years, going through ups and downs, showing amazing resilience, amazing focus and ability to iterate. Uh, and, and that's what really caught my my eye, this ability to always question yourself and be humble enough to know um, that sometimes you have to just change your plans, you know, and go d- different routes. So when they had started, you know, on, they were started with the B2C route and then they shifted to B2B, which was a major uh, turning point for the company. So that was the first thing that caught my attention. And then, and obviously what I really liked about the Plentific platform is really this ability to become the essential platform uh, uh, within uh, those large enterprise customers through which you could grow uh, over time and add product suites, add features, and effectively create this um, very, very, very sticky, uh, you know, uh, tool for for the for the those enterprises that you know they would never be able to move away from you, and then build from there and become you know the central point, essential point of of those large portfolios. So for me, this was very clear very quickly that this was uh, a very unique set of uh, of of you know people, technology, positioning, strategy. Um, and then when we run the first pilot, you know, uh, with one of our LPs, you know, um, it's not always, it's not easy. You know, those pilots take time. You have to go and tell some guys that they, you know, they, they have to change suddenly the way they do their job, even though they've been doing their job the same way every day for the last 20, 30 years. And you have to tell them, hey, that's going to change. And, um, and, and you're going to have to learn how to, 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 to behave differently. These are not easy discussions, but once people understand the value that you bring to them across the firm, and so the value that someone at the C-suite level or the board level sees is not the same value that someone on the operation sees, and you need to be able to talk through mm. every single person across the firm, and everyone needs to be aligned. Uh, and, and that's and a key something. point. And, and Jem, that, that's a key point. With, with you were talking a little bit earlier about the design of your platform, and, and people often forget, don't they, when when they're creating, particularly B two B platforms, that everyone's focused on the end user and the consumer, but they forget, don't they, about the staff. And actually, if you're going to make a difference and make an impact, people using it in the business need to find it an enjoyable experience as well, don't they? I, mean, I can tell you, the number one success we have is by people using it, telling others how 
much better their life is using it this way than the old way. That sells itself, right? So you mentioned Nottingham Genesis. We started with a sub portfolio and after I think two months, that team had most of their issues resolved and other teams struggled. And when other people start finding out, you know, more people came to us and said, can we also use you? And that is the best thing to hear as a, as a you know, as a business, as the easiest way to scale. And this is exactly mm. what we experience across all clients now. And, and so you were also with, with people like Clarion, one of the, also one of the biggest housing associations, Peabody, and, and you've recently begun working with Legal and General's affordable housing business as well, haven't you? Yes, we're, we're not working with Clarion uh, at the moment, but LNQ um, we're working with, and LNG, as you mentioned, uh, is, a, so is a new Clarion client. probably should be using it, though, shouldn't they? That's what it sounds like. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, they are, they are definitely a f- uh, forerunner on the uh, um, ESG topic. Uh, they have done great work in the last uh, few years, and they have a report that comes out every year um, that outlines, you know, the different areas they're working on, on, on all those. And... You know, definitely, you know, would love to work with them and we might work with them in the future. But um, well, tell us about, tell us, let's talk about the data that, 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 that you guys create and or, or, you know, that you can extract from the platform. Because I guess looking at the challenges the housing association sector has right now, a lot of them are governance related. A lot of them are outside their control of the cladding fire safety issues, which we will probably ignore today because we don't have time um that would take a whole week of podcasts just to get under the skin of but let's think about governance in 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 the housing association realm because they're under a lot of pressure aren't they these organizations they're huge organizations many many times the size of of the uk REITs and commercial sector um and essentially where we've got to over the last 10 years or so is the government's continually reducing their grant funding the regulator is saying sort out all your problems uh, and, and lots of people, uh, and lots of people are getting very angry. So, tell us about your experience of this, and, and where you think some of those solutions lie. And crucially, what's the role that data that, that data will play in that? It's a great question, and um, you know, one that could go on for an hour or two discussion. So, I'll try to summarize it. But ninety yeah, seconds. Ninety seconds, right? <laughs> um, I think. The, the large landlords in the housing sector have been very good with S, social value, right? They've been obviously running affordable housing. They're doing lots of training programs and creating lots of opportunities for people that live in their communities. Um, and the funding side has been typically run through public funding. And, you know, they obviously built new homes and they sold new homes and generated profits from that to subsidize, you know, some of the social housing uh, developments. That is obviously less easy now. So the money they have needs to be spent more carefully. There's a lot of pressure, as you said, and huge amounts need to be spent to reduce uh, the E going forward. And, you know, there's plans in place for 2050, for 2035, and requires a significant amount of investment from all players. Now, on the one side, because housing associations are so great in the S and tracking that, they're actually very good in also coming up with a framework that outside new investors like to get private money into um, into that space. And we're seeing now bonds coming out that are you know funded through this. So I think they're in a good spot to tap more funds in the private world through these. And a, and a lot of direct investment as well, isn't there? I mean, you talked about LNG, Absolutely. Man Group, um, Blackstone, Blackstone Stage, yeah. So you mentioned data. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that 
most organizations don't have a grip, a, a good grip on data, a, a good grip on what's, you know, what are the assets in a home? And you mentioned most, most properties are existing properties, right? So doing programs on existing properties is costly, right? We get approached by lots of other startups saying, hey, I've got great IoT solutions. So I've got great other options. And we say often to them, that's great. And we see the value, but it's too expensive, right? If I go to someone that has 60,000 homes and we have to retrofit all the stuff, these guys won't be able to spend it, right? It's that simple. So, but data is at the core of what we do as a business. So we have uh, Snowflake as a data integration. We, we have um, BI tools to run advanced analytics on the data. So just for, for people that, that think Snowflakes are something that you see outside in the sky, tell us what that means. So how does that work for someone on the ground? Well, in, in the simplest form, we can you know, collect all the data across um, different solutions, for example, that clients have, maybe around uh, property data, maybe they have a solution that you know, sh shows the asbestos information, maybe they have a place where they have the EPC information, and we can combine that into a central hub and start analyzing that in the best way and then add more data to it. Like as a platform, we generate all the data around resident behavior, operational data, uh, data around contractor performance, uh, mm. how good your property managers are you know, responding and dealing with requests. And all of that combined so with what goes into a property can help you to actually improve and save a lot of cost uh, as you uh, as you look at your business operationally mm. so going forward it'd be great i suppose if newly designed buildings had a full catalog of every single component that could connect with a platform like yours so you'd be able to say well look you know the boiler's gone or my ground source air pump has got blocked with a with something we're um, already working with a few very large clients on exactly this yeah excellent well look let, let's um let's sort of switch focus a little bit greg You've got a lot of different interests other than just social housing. Um, tell us a bit about some of, your, some of your work with data centers, because I think you know, we were talking about the emissions from real estate being around 40% of all global emissions, but data centers alone cough out more than the aviation industry, don't they? Um, yeah, absolutely. Look, um, I think... I think the the beauty of uh, of real estate is that it's so diverse, uh, and then when you look under the hood, there are so many sub segments that have their own problem, their own issues that require specific solutions. Uh, you know, we we've been looking at the segments also of real estate that are going to be growing the most uh, as a result of you know mega macro trends that are going 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 uh, and happening uh, at the moment. So obviously, data centers is 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 a big one. Um, there is a need for more and more data centers. At the same time, data centers are huge, uh, you know, uh, car, you know, high up on the list on carbon emission, consume a lot of energy. And so, you know, some of the solutions that we've seen, we've backed a, com a company in France called Carnot Computing, which has created, uh, it's a mix of hardware and software uh, where they embed high computing power microchips into boilers, into radiators that you'll find into homes, offices, or government uh, buildings. And, and then they basically uh, have a software that distributes and sell that computing power to the traditional customers like banks or 3D, uh, you know, or, 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 or departments that require 3D calculations and so on. 
um, and they leverage the heat of that uh, those microchips to heat the buildings that they're in. So suddenly you are uh, enabling uh, large landlords to become operators of decentralized data centers and potentially give a second life to part of their assets, whether parkings or undergrounds or you know some 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 storage facilities. And at the same time, uh, reduce the carbon footprint and cre- create um, you know carbon neutral kind of buildings. And so this is very important because suddenly in a world where ESG is so important, if you take the example of a bank that is a big consumer of high computing power that would traditionally get from you know AWS or so on, they are suddenly uh, able to trace uh, the uh, uh, climate friendliness of the computing power that they actually buy and consume. And so that, that goes a long way in really understanding the entire value chain uh, of, of energy consumptions and, and, and climate uh, friendliness and net zero kind of uh, yeah, and it's, and goals. It's, it's a big thing, isn't it? And, and uh, you know, it was, uh, it, was, it was interesting, wasn't it, that seeing the, the, the kickback that uh, greeted Tesla's boss a few weeks ago for investing into Bitcoin, everybody saying, you know, hang on a second, Bitcoin's a huge generator of, of carbon emissions, apparently 0.7% global emissions so this this focus on computing power is actually it's sort of a bit of a sleeping giant isn't it yeah look i mean i'm not going to go into the details of elon musk and bitcoin i'll just say that you know people always try to find yes obviously bitcoin is and i'm not a specialist but there is a high consumption of energy there but i mean people should just also remember what's your waiting to bitcoin (laughs) look (laughs) I have zero exposure to Bitcoin, sadly. I have no shame not to, to say it. I'll say that Elon Musk is changing the world. Um, and I think he's, he's, got, he's had a huge impact in raising the awareness of, uh, of the people. So, you know, um, I think people should cut him some slack. That, that's my view. No, no, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I think, but I mean, let, let's, let's sort of double down on this point then about, um, about decentralized energy, decentralized heat. I, I guess the, the, the obvious question there is, it's one thing storing all of your data in Amazon Web Services or Microsoft or you know any other business, but uh, how would that work if 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 that data if, uh, are stored somewhere you know in a in a commercial building, for example, that isn't protected inside a the data center environment? How does that how does that work with people's security concerns? I mean, most of the stuff is stored in the cloud, so you know, uh, I think that's 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 not necessarily the issue there. I think um, you know, you you have to. That, that's where the quality of the hardware comes into play. And obviously, if you're going to place uh, a boiler with computing power, those those microchips are protected. They're not necessarily easy unless someone comes and just blows up your boiler. But I mean. That's that's probably not necessarily something that you see happening most of the time. I think we live in a world where things are going to get more and more decentralized. I think part of the revolution that we're going through uh, as a society is the the us going from vertically integrated kind of large conglomerates and businesses and the centralization of information to the decentralization and the fact that everything is now horizontally distributed and we're seeing impacts across various you know sides of, of our day to day and so I think it's 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 bound to stay and remain this way and I think it's only going one way um, and we have to embrace it that's why when people talk about you know what's going to happen to the office what's going to happen to how we 
you know, whether we're going to commute to, to work, I think we have to accept that we're going to live in a very, very different world going forward. And technology is going to only accelerate whatever trends we're seeing. So we're convinced that we're going to see more change in the next five years than we've probably seen in the last 20 years. Uh, what other stuff are you investing in? So tell us about some of the other investments that you've made um, in technology businesses. Yeah, so look, we, we're, we've done a lot. And most of our investments, in the last, I would say 80% of our investments in the last 12 months have been uh, climate-related. Uh, I would say we're in the process of closing something interesting now, which is going to be looking at uh, this new trend where, where homes, single-family homes, are going to become... Uh, more and more electrified. So you're thinking that homes are becoming smarter and smarter and you have more devices, IoT, that needs to be plugged into those homes. Homes are installing solar power as well. Homes will require EV charging station. So suddenly all those homes require to be operated smartly and the brain of those homes, uh, which will replace the old school panels uh, or electricity panels in those houses, will will become the backbone of, of the future infrastructure. And mm. we we expect the decentralization of the grid as well. So we talk about decentralization. Where, you know, in the world where you see more and more power cuts, power outage, especially in the US right now, this notion that each home is going to be not only a consumer of electricity, but also a producer of electricity. And yeah, therefore and you can decentralize the grid, is huge. Yeah, yeah a, a lot of modular housing, obviously focusing on that companies like Ilka Homes that, that we work with that very, very heavily focused on creating net zero operational buildings. And again, coming back to the institutional side, a huge amount of institutional investment now piling into single family housing for rent companies all over the show starting to do that following the american model yeah um so, so i mean so gem let, let's sort of let's let's close off and take it back to housing for the for the close so you're uh, you're expanding out into germany um and obviously there is a you know a, a growing focus on investment in residential in in all areas of the market not just social housing affordable housing but but private rent student rent later living um so, so where do you see the future going over the next few years yeah i mean <clears throat> we're we're already present in most residential asset classes in the uk and germany so we cover social housing uh, prs uh, we have student-led we have care homes um, so we already have customers in those areas and we'll expand uh, further uh, into into newest uh, sectors um, that we've been you know recently discussing launching with a with a pub owner uh, across the uk and um, with the largest retirement home provider. So the platform is very suitable to grow cross-sector in the resi space. And um, we also had initial discussions in Germany with a very large commercial owner. Um, so we'll, we'll continue driving the platform adaptation to address you know, special needs for different sectors. Um, and that's the uniqueness about this, this platform that also Greg mentioned as you know, a key key investment criteria for him that, you know, the opportunity to, to grow into different sectors, add more services that clients need, um, plus go international, which, you know, we've proven in Germany now and scaled quite quickly in the first year. Uh, we uh, incorporate our business in the US and we'll launch hopefully in April, May, um, shows, you know, success of the approach. So um, yeah, we'll just have to keep growing, add more uh, smart people to the team and, um work with clients on innovations like 
you know, 2035 sounds very far away, but there's a lot of, you know, thinking and money that needs to go into reducing energy consumption in existing stock. And so we're already talking about clients, how we can help them with their requirements. Yeah. And, and Greg, uh, other businesses then on the radar, what, 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 are, what other companies should people be looking at? You've, you've invested in people like Acricor, Passive Logic. Um, what are those guys up to? Look, those guys are solving similar problems in the commercial real estate, which is, um, you know, how do you take back control of the uh, energy consumption, the carbon emissions? Very, very English phrase there. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm trying hard, you know. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so, and so, and so, I think those companies are enabling uh, large enterprise uh, to to do that, and also to create a, a, a understandable reporting for the board that enables the operational guy to communicate with the board in in lemon terms, and for them to understand what are the actions, what are the projects, what are the initiatives that need to be undertaken to reduce those carbon footprint, those energy consumption. Because at the end of the day, in the world where um, cap, cap rates or yields are, are historical lows and they're bound to stay there for a long time, every euro or dollar you can save in your operation will go a long way into creating significant uh, value uh, for, for the investors on top of enabling you to become more uh, climate friendly. So it's the first time that we've seen an alignment, you know, before becoming more climate friendly meant spending more money. And I think today with the new technologies around, you can achieve both uh, if financial and climate efficiency at the same time. And so we believe that that's going to create a, a huge traction into, into adoption for this. Thank you then to Gregory and to Jem and also to Ellie from Notting Hill Genesis. You've been listening to PropCast uh, and you can check out our page on Spotify, Apple and PropertyWeek.com for other episodes in our ESG series and beyond. Thanks very much for listening. Do get in touch with any comments or feedback and we hope to see you soon. I've been Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. Thanks a lot.